Hi my dreamers and welcome to Dialyne with and Dream Catcher where we talk discipline in the media and the world around us. On this week's podcast I thought I would do something a little bit different to celebrate my last podcast of the year and get you all and myself in the Christmas spirit. I would read and talk about the Christmas stories by Tom Fletcher. It's one of my all time favourite books. It's well, all of these books are up there because they're well written and the style, the art style is amazing. Just everything is amazing. So the Christmasaurus is about a boy named William Trundle and a dinosaur named the Christmasaurus. It's about how they meet one Christmas Eve and have a magical adventure. It's about friendship, family, playbells and Santa singing out some flying manger. It's about discovering your heart's true desire that the impossible might just be possible. It was originally published the 6th of October 2016 and a year later it was turned into a musical for about a couple of months for Christmas. Then Tom Fletcher announced that it was being turned into a movie. And and I hope you can me we still go ahead. Nothing so much in sense and like I said that was in 2017. So 2021. So I'm hoping using all my Christmas magic we still go ahead. Because I really wanna see this on like the screen because the characters are well written. The artwork's just on a whole other level. It's just so magically Christmassy and sparkly and I love it. Why do I love the books so much? Tom Fletcher's books means a lot to me, especially the Christmas stories. Not only is it a great book full of magic and wonder, but for the main character to be in a wheelchair means a lot to me because he goes through struggles and he becomes positive and it's amazing. It's also the first book I read to my sister which she loves. So thank you Tom. So if you can please read these books and please read the Christmas story. Again they're pretty amazing. So let's just jump into it Sally. You are about to go on a magical adventure with a boy called William Trundle his dad, Bob Tundra, Santa, lots of elves, Brenda Payne, the meanest girl in school, possibly the world, a very nasty piece of work called the Hunter, and his dog, Growler, <coughs> and one, and of course, a dinosaur called the Christmas Saurus. Prologue. The end of the dinosaurs. This story starts like all good stories do, a long, long time ago. Not just a long time ago, but a very, very, very long time ago. Screens of years ago, in fact, long before your granny and your granddad were born, before there were any human beings at all, before cars and airplanes, even before there was the internet, there was something even better. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs were the most awesome creatures ever to walk the planet. 
there were lots of, of them, and they came in all shapes and sizes. There were small ones that were not much bigger than dogs or cats. Some with big, spiky pickle horns on their backs. Sounds like the Gruffalo. <laughs> there were stupendously ginormous ones called Semisaurus that were longer than fire double decker buses with neck thicker than tree trunks and skin like the hard rubber tyres of a tractor. I know that sounds hard to believe, but it's definitely true because this is a book and books don't lie. I'd like to tell you about two very special dinosaurs. We'll call them Mummysaurus and Daddy Dulox. Those weren't their real names, of course. That would just be silly. Mummysaurus and Daddy Dulox have been out all day in the hot, hot heat of the prehistoric sun and were returning home to their tidy little nest. But when they found it in its place was something horrible, horrible, an almighty pile of rocks, bones and dust. Their home had been ransacked by evil scattered dinosaurs and their sneaky, scrawling little scavengers had smashed up their home good and proper. But for Mummy Saurus and Daisy Locks, the mess was the last thing on their minds because they had left a most prized possession alone inside that nest, twelve dinosaur eggs, which is now nowhere to be seen. As you can imagine, Mauritius and Dioducks were devastated. They stood in the wreckage of the nest, weeping and roaring for a very long time, until the sun went down and the moon and stars filled the sky and filled the jungle. That night, a light breeze was blowing through the enormous tree, and a silver of silver moonlight found its way to the remains of the nest. Suddenly something called Daddy Duck's eye, something smooth and shiny, was reflecting a mean beam from under a pile of bone and mud. He quickly and gently lifted the box and wobble. There it was gleaming perfectly unharmed in the moonlight. It was the, the one last egg. How that one and only egg had escaped the hungry scavenger rampaging was a mystery. Perhaps the greedy tummies were full, or, or maybe th this egg had rolled out of sight when they were smashing and crossing the others. Whatever the reason, all that mattered was Mummy Silver and Lady Dulux had one egg left. The tiny dinosaur that was caught up safely inside that egg became the most important thing in the world to them. And they were going to let anything bad happen to it ever again. But something bad was go about to happen. Something that would change the world forever. Something big, something astronomical, into the galactical, out of spacey, wavy big. The pale moonlight that blackened the, the dinosaur's broken nest when they seemed to turn yellow. Then the yellow turned orange and then the then a, to a hot fiery red. Mummy Swallows and Daddy Dulux peeked out 
from the home, staring indifferently. It was as though the moon itself was on fire. As they watched, the whole sky turned into a violent display of whizzing hot rocks and shooting stars, and not the kind of shooting star that you and I know, which switched prettily over the sky like beautiful little scratches of light in space. These ones didn't spy at all. These ones massed straight down like red hot thunderbolts that collided into thousands of fireballs as they hit the earth. Panic and Sarah consumed the jungle. Flaming trees were uprooted by huge five double-decker bus-sized dinosaurs and the small dinosaurs were squished and trampled. The night sky was brighter than the light of day and the moon felt hotter than the midnight sun. But there was only one thing on Mommy's horses and Daddy Dulux's mind, protecting their egg. They had to get their egg to safety, so they ran. They ran as fast as the dinosaur feet could carry them, definitely clinging on to the last treasured egg. They joined the stampede of thousands of terrifying dinosaurs fleeting the danger. But no matter how fast and how far they ran, they couldn't seem to escape. After all, how can you run from the sky? Marisaurus and Daedulox were stripped away to the crowd, pulling this way and pushing that way, in a great sea of dinosaurs. And as hard as they tried, they just couldn't hold on to their egg any longer. It slipped from the grip and fell to the ground. Now I bet you're thinking that the egg was crushed. Instantly, right? Well, smarty cog, clever pants, it wasn't actually. A pile of leaves broke the egg's fall, and it rolled into the feed unharmed. It was kick a bast and knock a box every which way, but it still didn't crack. Mommy saw us and I do not taste after it as it bounced in between giant Diplodocus's legs and rolled under a stomping stone. So was it Pete narrowing avoiding being squashed time and time again? It rolled and rolled as if it had a mind of its own, falling from rock ledges to treetops and swishing down slushing wind slides and when we saw this and Daddy look taste after it definitely yeah. If I saw us and Daddy Dulux had been looking up at the sky instantly instead of trying to find their egg, they would have seen such a terrifying cart-stopping fighting every sight. The whole sky was on fire above them. What they had thought was a flaming moon was in fact a washing enormous planet smashing on a meteor. It had travelled from the deepest depths of space and was about to smash, whack, into planet Earth and wipe out all the dinosaurs forever. Planet Earth. But just before the meteor did its planet smashing, the lucky egg rolled all the way to the edge of a tail-dragged cliff high above the forest fearsome ocean. All we saw as the day Dulux could do was watch out for the Earth as the last passage egg with a tiny baby dinosaur inside calmly toppled over the edge 
on the cliff and out of sight, gone forever. The egg fell straight, fell straight down, missing the rock face of the cliff by millimetres. This was a very lucky egg indeed. It plopped peacefully into the ocean below like a pebble in a lake, and then she sank deep into the darkest, leaving the veracious terrain of the world above the waves. Eventually it came to rest on this dark, sheltered spot on the ocean floor. As the meteor's hour it left, I remained down, unforgivingly destroying every dinosaur on the planet, except one, the one inside the egg. While the egg lay peacefully at the bottom of the ocean, the world continued to burn, and then it rose solid, in an ice age that would last for thousands of years. There, the egg remained deep in the ice frozen in time, just waiting to be discovered. Dun, dun, dun. Will the egg be discovered? Will it stay hidden? Let's find out. <laughs> Chapter 1 William Trundle. This is William Trundle. There's something you should know about William Trundle. William liked dinosaurs. Actually, he didn't just like them, he loved them. In fact, he loved them so much, I should probably write it in big letters like this. William loved dinosaurs! William had, sorry, William had dinosaur pyjamas, dinosaur socks, dinosaur pants, a dinosaur soap toothbrush, dinosaur wallpaper, two dinosaur posters, a dinosaur lamplight, and most of toys, and he could fit into a bag for life. But if there was one thing William knew for sure, it was that you could never have too many dinosaur toys. William lived in a wonky little house on the edge of a busy town on the edge of a busy city but even though the house was small it never really felt that way because only two people lived there William and his dad Bob Trundle now I bet you're wondering why William didn't have a mum well of course he did have one once but sadly she died a long time ago when William was very young so it had been just William and Mr. Trundle for as long as William could remember. As well as dinosaurs, William loved Christmas, but not as half as much as his dad did. Mr. Trundle loved Christmas so much that whenever Christmas Day was over, he would sob uncontrollably for a whole week, sometimes until the end of January, desperately trying to... Fling on to Christmas. He even had a secret Christmas tree hidden in his wardrobe. I did. <laughs> um, Mr. Trundle. Last year, I put up my Christmas tree and left it there because it made me happy. I am probably going to have to take it down this year though because my mum was like, you're going to have to take it down, take it down. And by like the start of... September, so you're gonna have to leave it, but you gotta take it down next year. So, <sighs> but it did make me really happy. <laughs> it was permanently decorated and it lit up when he opened the door to get his socks each morning. As Mr. Trundle got dressed, he would look at his secret tree and say to himself, Every step away you take from last Christmas brings you one step closer to the next. 
It was these words that got into the ear. On this particular morning, though, Mr. Trundle was feeling very, very merry indeed, because it was the first day of December. Time to get ready for school, Willy Poops, Mr. Trundle called from the kitchen as he spread a bottle onto steaming hot crumpets, Mr. Trundle's favourite breakfast. William rolled his eyes at the, <coughs> at the scene that name his dad used for him, Willy Poops. Dad, you can't keep calling me that. I'm seven and three quarters. It's embarrassing, William sighed from his bedroom as he stuffed his school bag full of books. I thought we agreed that I can call you Willie Poops when you're not at school. You can't go changing the rules now, Willie nearly Willie Poops, Mr. Tunnel Freeze, as he walked into his son's bedroom. Happy 1st of December, Mr. Trundle beamed as he placed a breakfast tray down on William's desk and nodded his head excitedly at a recently added object perched perfectly next to the plate of golden crumpets. William followed his gaze and saw that it was a chocolate fold almond calendar. Thanks, Dad! Where's yours? said William. Every year, William and Mr. Trundle would each have an advent calendar and open a new door together. Every morning, before school, it was a wonderful tradition. William thought he saw a flicker of sadness on Mr. Trundle's face, which was quickly replaced by a small. I am. I thought it might be fun to share one this year when, yeah, Mr. Trundle said, like, last, lately, we've been sharing a lot of things. This Mr. Trundle didn't have very much money, but William didn't mind. Oh, okay, he said. I open the door and you can have the first chocolate, Dad. How about I open the door and you have the first chocolate, William? Mr. Trundle suggested. Thanks, Dad, William said, grinning. He secretly hoped his dad would say that. Say cheese, said Mr. Trundle as he quickly snapped a photo of the two of them. Ah, that makes a lovely Christmas card this year, he said, admiring the photograph. It was another Trundle tradition to take a photograph on the 1st of December for the Christmas cards. They would send to a long list of distant relatives. Aunt Kim on the Isle of Wight, great Mary Joan, who looked like a witch, cousin Lily and Joe, Aunt Julia, second cousin Sam, Uncle H. Trundle, great grandma. Parkin. It was a long list, half of whom William had never met. William, have you thought about what you're going to ask Santa for this year? You need to write your letter soon to Mr. Trundle as he peeled open the first chocolate of the advent calendar. William took, took out the small snowman-shaped chocolate but suddenly didn't feel like eating it. My dear boy, what on earth the matter? asked Mr. Trundle. Well, it, it, it's just, I don't think Santa can bring me what I want this year, said William, staring longly at the dinosaur poster on his wall. I'm pretty sure that the house can't make a real dinosaur. Make? repeated Mr. Trundle, as he took, took a knowing sip of his cup of tea. The house don't make anything at all, William. I'm very confused, but I thought Santa's have made all the presents in the North Pole, he said. Da! Cried Mr. Trundle, spitting out a mouthful of tea. I'm sorry, Mum.
I know you hate like tea being wasted. I just read that as quickly as I could because you say not to waste a good cup of tea. So that bit scared. Mum was like, just read it quickly. Read it as quickly as you can. It's like taking off a bandage. So I did. <laughs> Well, William, I'm afraid that's all just a big pile of poppycock. But bit of fire, mouth and gibberish. Fair fellow nonsense. Whoever told you that? It's a complete knickerbocker. Make presents. Ha! Would you like me to tell you how it arms really work, William? He asked. A sudden sparkle in his eye. Oh, please do, Dad, William cried and made himself comfortable. He always loved it when his dad told him stories. He was very good at them. And he was particularly good at Christmas stories. But as you already know, Mr Trundle loved everything about Christmas. He knew all there was to know about Santa, the Owls and the North Pole. Ever since he was a little boy, it had been his favourite time of year and he would always be the first person to start celebrating Christmas one year. He put up the, their Christmas tree in July, which really annoyed the neighbours. William loved it. Well, the first thing you should know is that the elves' hands are far too small to build a decent sort of toy, and on top of that, they only have three fingers. Three fingers? No way! William said, making funny sense with his own hands, trying to imagine he had three elf fingers. How small are elves, Dad? He asked. Very small. William looked. Looking at an elf is like looking at a human through a pair of binoculars if you were holding them the wrong way round, Mr Trundle explained. Oh, wow, said William, who knew exactly what he meant. No, the owls aren't doing makers at all, Mr Trundle went on. There are only two jobs that the North Pole owls are good at. Farming and miming. Let me tell you... How it works, my boy. First, they receive letters from girls and boys from all around the world, just like you, William, asking for different sorts of Christmas presents. Santa lands by his fireplace in his rocking chair and reads every letter out loud, not in his head, William. William nodded this intently. This is very important, William, because in this letter reading room, there is a very old, very crooked, very medical Christmas tree. If you saw it, you would probably think it was a dead twig in a plant pot. But it's very important. It was the very first Christmas tree that ever lived. And it's still alive. And now it sits and listens to Santa read. A tree that listens, really, Dad? Pressing William at the rather absurd sounding flat. Of course, all trees listen, William. Why do you think... They're so quiet all the time. They're listening, of course, said Mr. Rundle, making perfect sense. As Santa reads the letters out loud, the old crooked man at Christmas tree about bunches of very peculiar-looking bean pods. Bean pods, cried William. What on earth are bean pods? They are magic Christmas bean pods, William. And Santa picks these odd pods and gives them to the farmer out. The fire out boil them in a pot until the Christmas beans pop out. These beans are very large with red and white swirls. If you ate one wing, it would taste so delicious that your eyes would cry rainbows and then fall right out 
of your head, so they are meant never to be eaten. William nodded and made a mental note never to eat a Christmas bean. The rowing owls then took the bean out of this white snow field and planted them deep in the cold, powdery snow. Where they finish, all the owls gather round and wait for a sign. While they wait, they sing a song. Mr. Trundle cleared his voice and started singing the most peculiar owl song in his best owl voice. We're waiting for a sign. It's taking so much time. Hurry up, you shitty bean. We want to go inside. Our body feels like an icicle. Where is the silly sign? Hurry up, you showboat Christmas bee. It's nearly Christmas time. Wow, said William. The elf really sing that song? Every year, said Mr. Trundle. Then eventually, when the timing is just right, the sky above the North Pole lights up in the rough, glowy, dancing colours. The Northern Lights, said William. I seen them on the telly. That's right, son. The beautiful Northern Lights are the sign that they're waiting for. That's when the mining elves go to work. And what does the mining elf do? asked William. I'll tell you, my lad, said Mr. Trundle happily. They dig, dig, diggy, dig under the snowfields and into the icy, the ice below, which is as thick as our house and as cleaner, clear as glass for them. They aren't mining for diamonds or gold, though. They are digging for toys. The Christmas beans have worked their magic into the snow, where huge twisty windy roots grow downwards into the ice and it's there William and to run inside these frozen roots that all the toys girls and boys around the world come from they grow grow in the ice made by the Christmas bean that came from the Christmas tree that listened to Santa read your letters Mr Trundle finished well said William well indeed William so now you know how our work, said Mr. Trundle. And now you know how our work too. And it's true, because it's in a book, and books don't lie. I hope you enjoy reading the first two chapters of the Christmas Chorus. And again, Merry Christmas, and I'll see you New Year. Dream big, my dreamers. You deserve it. Thank you for listening.